0: You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. So as we walk through this scripture together, I hope that you take notes because there will be some things that we, we want to see. This is a very interesting passage of scripture, and in fact, it brings up a lot of theological, interpretive questions. And so we're going we're to walk through them as much as we can, but most of you don't want to be here till 3 o'clock, so we won't get to all of them. But we're going to address them because there's some important things that we have to see in this text in order for us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Well, one of the first things I want you to see right away is this call to pray. This is a call to prayer that James is giving his readers. He says, listen, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you going through difficulty? Is anybody here in a trial? It's like if James was here, that's what his question will be. Some, who's suffering? Who's going through a difficulty? Who's walking through something hard? And the reality of the Bible, the reality of Christian experience, is that every single one of us at some time in our life will walk through suffering. It's not an if, but it's a when. All of us will experience some level of suffering. Now, it can vary from person to person. There will be different trials unique to each person. But everybody, nobody is immune. Just because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian does not make us immune to suffering. And in fact... Being a Christian even can bring suffering. And so suffering is something that everybody will experience. But, but thanks be to God, we don't always suffer. There are moments of joy, and we'll see that in a second. When he asked them, asked them about, is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. So... There are moments of joy, and there's moments of suffering in life. That's how life is. And James says, look, are you suffering? And he says, let him pray. If there's anyone suffering, let him pray. I mean, that's it. That's his answer. He's going to walk through what that looks like. But look, is anybody suffering? He says, you need to pray. You need to seek God. Why do we pray when we suffer? Or why should we pray? Why do we pray? Why should we pray when we suffer? I want you to imagine that it's, well, you don't have to imagine that's been 110 degrees because that's exactly what it's been. Imagine you're in your home, though, and it's 110 degrees outside. You're enjoying the A.C. It's nice. And your power goes out. Bad news, right? Right. So you look, you check the breaker, make sure that something's wrong there, everything's good. You look outside at the neighbors and you, oh, their power's still running. It's just your house. Then you say, honey, did we pay the electric bill? Yep. The electric bill's paid up. What do you do? Do you go to the gas station and ask the clerk at the gas station why your power's not on? No. Do you go to Walmart and ask somebody at Walmart why your power's not on? Do you go to Home Depot? They, they do all sorts of stuff, right? No. I mean, you could even call an electrician, right? But if there's no power coming in, it can't help you. Who do you go to? You call... Encore, probably. You go to the source of who's in charge. You find out who's in charge of your power, and, and you go there, and you find out why is the power out. In the same way, with our prayer, we go to God when we suffer because He's the one in charge. All the other people that we can talk to, we can go to them, and guess what? Nobody else can help your situation, but God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's the one that we go to. And so we go to the one who can actually do something about our situation. People can help us, but nobody can ultimately help our situations like God can. And so he says, listen, if you are suffering, you pray. If you are cheerful, you sing praises to God. In our, in our joy, do we sing praises to God? In the joy that we have, in the blessings of life, do we sing praises? That's what James is saying here. You pray or you sing praises. But then he asks, is anyone among you sick. I want you to underline that word sick there. This is the first interpretive question that we have to ask. Is James referring here to a physical sickness or is he referring to some sort of spiritual sickness? The reason that's an important question is that for sickness can be used from time to time in the Bible for spiritual sickness or not being spiritually well. But the vast majority of the times it's used for physical illness. We see that in the Gospels. Always in the Gospels, it's physical illness. And also too, we see that James is going to show us that we are to pray over this person who's sick. Which is a picture of Literally, sometimes we use the phrase pray over somebody, but this was literal. They're literally praying over a sick person on their bed, if you will. And so I believe this word points to physical sickness. Now why that's important is because some some preachers and commentators like to think of it as spiritual sickness because it gets us out of some of the hard questions we have to ask. But this is likely somebody who's sick, actually sick. So James is saying, listen, are there any sick people here? Is there anybody here going through a sickness or an illness? And so we're to pray. We're to pray. And we're going to see what that looks like to pray. We're going to see the mode of prayer. The mode of prayer that James talks about here. He says, if anyone's sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The elders are pastors. That's what we see in the Bible. So as we call pastors, it's the elders. So the pastors of the church. So you call the pastors, you bring them together. And then they're going to pray. But what are they going to use? They're going to anoint him with oil. But there's a couple things. If anyone's among you, who calls for the elders? The person who's sick. This is something that person wants. They desire it. They say, listen, bring the the elders. And it kind of has a picture of they're at home. They're bedridden and they can't come out. Bring the elders. And they come and... They anoint oil. Now that's been a mystery to a lot of people. There are some traditions that even now they anoint, they use oil. When they're praying with somebody, they have some oil. I've seen it. We don't generally use oil. What does that mean? What is James talking about with oil here? So there's a couple things you might want to write down, a couple options. Options. Some people say, well, it was probably medicinal. It had some sort of medicine in it. Like maybe they believe that it was, again, bringing a cure. The problem is that word for oil here is really the word for olive oil. And the word for olive oil really is never used for medicine. In the Greek Old Testament, especially. And so... It seems strange, too, that if it's medicinal, James doesn't say the oil has healed them. It's going to be, again, the power of prayer. The other option is that this oil is not medicinal, but it's symbolic. Like the Old Testament, when they would consecrate somebody, when they would pour oil on them, setting them apart. And it's likely here that this oil, I believe, has some sort of symbolic usage. When you pour oil on somebody or anoint them with oil, it's it's separating them for a special cause for God. It's a unique way of saying, "God, bring healing to this person." There's other thoughts, and you know, that I, this is one that we don't know for sure. But we do know this is not the only way to pray. We don't always see oil in the Bible being used in prayer. We don't see that always with Paul or even Jesus, although he does sometimes. So it doesn't seem like this is a rule that you always use oil. But the power is in prayer. And that's where the emphasis is. And so the mode here, he's saying, listen, the elders, they come, they pray over somebody who's sick, they pour oil, but the emphasis is on prayer. He says, listen, they're, they're called to pray. Now, soon we'll see that everybody's supposed to pray for each other, but the elders are called here to pray likely because they have some experience in prayer. He's saying, listen, you need to pray for this person. And then we see the type of prayer. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith. He will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he committed sin, he will be forgiven. And so he says, listen... There's a type of prayer, and it's a prayer of faith. Do you remember earlier in James when we talked about wisdom? James says, listen, when you ask for wisdom, don't ask with doubting, but ask with faith. Believe. And when you pray with faith, you pray believing and knowing and expecting God to do something. We come in confidence that God is powerful. So when we pray for somebody who's sick, the question is, do we we pray and we just kind of lay our hands and say, God, you know, maybe if you could heal them, or do we really believe? Do we have faith that God could do this thing? And for us, the reason that we can have faith is one, personal, because we know that God has done many things in our own life. We're reminded of the power and work of God in our own life. But then we're also reminded of the power and work of God in the Bible. For generations after generation, God has been faithful. But then we also see the power of God through history. We read about saints of old, people who experienced and knew the power of God. So we we know that the power of God is real and capable of doing all these things. And so we come in faith. But then we also come together. We come as a body. Yes, we have the elders of the church, but then in a minute we're going to see... We're confessing to one another and praying for one another. We come as a body praying for each other. Imagine there's a soldier and he's he's at war and he's got his he's got a whole everybody with him. He's got all his fellow soldiers with him. But instead, he decides to go on and fight this vast me all by himself while his fellow soldiers are resting. How foolish would that be? In the same way, what if these fellow soldiers, they see Him going alone and they just say, Oh, forget it. We're not going to help Him. How sad. That's what it's like when we try to pray alone. When we don't enlist the prayers of the saints, it's like going to battle all alone. Sure, we can pray alone and there's times to do that, but when you have people praying with you and for you, And many of you could testify today, right now, of knowing what it's like to feel and sense the prayers of God's people. Amen? Some of you know what that's like. And so when we pray, we pray together corporately. We come together praying with one another. Pouring our hearts out to God to to bring healing, to help, to guide, to lead, whatever it may be. We pray. But then there's something very interesting here. Another interpretive question. He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So here, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. So we'll we'll jump ahead just a moment. He connects forgiveness with sickness. What does that mean? Is there some sickness that's as a result of sin? Do sometimes people get sick because of sin in their life? The Bible would say yes. Sometimes. 1 Corinthians 11.30 Not doing the Lord's Supper properly. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. We see that in the Bible that sometimes people, things happen to them physically because of their sin and rebellion. But here's the other side all sickness is not because of sin. Jesus also tells us this that there will be many times. Jesus in John 9 says, It was not this man that sinned or his parents. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so yes, while there are times, there are many times it's not. But what James is saying here is that listen, when you pray for this person, if there's any sin in their life, then they'll also be forgiven of that sin. If there's something in their life that shouldn't be there, that's that's causing and bringing illness and sickness in them, that this two also will be taken care of this too will be forgiven and then it says that we are also going to pray and confess to one another here's just kind of a side note the bible james this is the only place where we see that we are supposed to confess to one another Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? Does it mean that we're supposed to come up here one by one and confess all of our sins to each other? Because that's not a great church growth strategy, is it? How many people are going to come every week and do that? Is that Is that what James is saying? Or is this a evidence of going to confessional with a priest? This is a text that would be used for that. I don't think either one of those are exactly right. I don't think James is saying that we just have to come and tell all our sins all the time to people. But I do think it's a picture that in the body we do. And what I would say is you find somebody within the body of Christ that you can share your heart with. And you can share your struggles and your sins and you can confess. It's good for us. But you find somebody that's trusted, not just anybody. That's a bad idea if you just start going telling everybody all your, all your dirt. But you find somebody and you share your heart. They share their heart. You help. That's the picture. And that's the healing comes through that. And so there, this is the, the type of prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a corporate prayer. But then we see there will be a power in prayer. He says, listen, this person will be made well. Their faith will save them. They will raise him up. He says, you pray for one another that he may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And it's working. So here's another interpretive question. Is James saying that everybody who's sick is going to be healed when we pray? Our experience is no. Then a real scary question comes. Does that mean that if somebody I love didn't get better? They didn't get well? Was there something wrong with my faith? Like maybe I didn't pray right or I didn't pray enough or I didn't have enough faith or righteousness. Is is that what James is saying here? And I believe that when we look at the totality of Scripture, that what the, what the picture of prayer is, that when we pray in faith, but pray in God's will. If God's will is to bring healing on that person, he will. Because even not in the Bible, not everybody is always going to be healed. Do you remember Paul? He had a thorn in his flesh. Could have been an illness, a sickness. Cried out. Take it away, take it away, three times. Did God take away his thorn? No. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. So even there we see that not all healing happens on earth. And I believe theologically that you could say everybody will be healed. be Whether God's going to heal on earth or perfectly in heaven. But because someone you love doesn't get well does not mean that it was a weakness of prayer. The other reason I'm going to say that not everybody is healed all the time is because as far as I know to this point, since the time of Jesus, everybody has died. 100%. And what I mean by that, I'm not trying to be funny with that it's real right everybody dies and at any point in somebody's life somebody's going to be praying for them to not die to be well but everybody does succumb at some point and so to say that every time someone's going to pray that that person's going to get well just isn't the experience but it is saying that when it is, again, with the totality of Scripture, when we pray in God's will, and it's God's will, and we pray in His will, God will bring healing. And so we come in faith, believing that God can do it, He has the power to do it. But oftentimes God's plan is to bring healing in the life to come. But healing is possible. First John 5:14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But there is power in prayer, power and perseverance. But we ought not to say, we should never say to somebody, well, your loved one didn't get better because you didn't pray enough. We don't know that. And we should never say, well, I'm not better because I don't have enough faith. You don't know that. You just keep praying and seeking God. And then James gives a picture of what it means to pray. He gives an illustration from the Bible. He says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was human. Yes, he was a prophet, did amazing things, but he was still human. He had a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He's using the prophet as an example of of what it means to pray. This is found in 1 Kings. It's after his incident with the prophet Abel's. And this is what 1 Kings 18 says. And Elijah said to Ahab, "Get up, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. There had been no rain in the land. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went out to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab, the entrance of Jezreel. a picture of prayer, seeking God, and perseverance. James says that we're to be fervent in our prayers, like Elijah. We pray fervently, with faith. What does that mean for us? Like all of this, we we pray for those that are sick and those that are suffering, and we, we sing praises together. Here's what that means. One, we must be people. We must be a people, a church of prayer. We must be a place where we actually pray for each other. Not just names on a page, not just something we say we'll do. And listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody of, of not always praying as I should. But James isn't isn't necessarily, I mean, he's assuming that we are going to be people of prayer. I mean, he's telling us to do it. But he's saying, listen, this is going to be normal. The normal operation of a church is that you're going to pray. Like that's the normal part of a church function. It's not a program. It's not something we do on just a certain night. It's that we are going to be a people of prayer. And corporate prayer. Yes, we're people of private prayer, and that's good, but we also have to always be a people of corporate, together prayer. Where we pray for each other. We we pray diligently and faithfully for one another. And my prayer is that God would show us what does that look like for Richland Hills Baptist Church. What would that look like? For us to be a people of prayer. Now our tendency as Baptists. Is to start a program up. Let's start a prayer ministry here. What happens to programs? Programs are great. But what happens to them? They live and they die. James is not necessarily talking about some program. That we can start. He's talking about a DNA in our church. A belief that if if somebody is hurting in our body, they're a part of us. This is this is the idea, right, that when when you hurt, it should hurt me because we're part of the same body. And when when you're suffering, I suffer because we're part of the same body. And we and because of that we are desperately in prayer for one another, but but too often what happens is we we treat each other in the church as just fellow sort of parishioners that we're just you know here together like you would be in a movie theater. But no, James saying, listen, you man, you should be praying for one another. But the other aspect of this is that within the body of Christ, we have to build relationships. The only way that you can really pray for people is if you get to know them, if you spend time. You can't get to know people just coming for one hour, one day a week, and leave and never come back until the next week. That's not a condemnation. It's just a reality. You're not going to get to know each other. It's going to be difficult. You might get to know them a little bit. But to really be able to pray with, again, an authentic prayer for somebody, you've got to know them. And I know there's a lot of situations, and I understand that, but it may not always be gathering together here, but spending time with each other outside of church talking to maybe you can't physically do that you can call people on the phone you can message them whatever you you find ways to connect with one another throughout the week you build relationships because the more i know you the more i can really pray for you the more you know me the more you can pray for me but if if all we do is just come and show up and then we don't talk to anybody until the next week and we will never, we'll never be able to pray with confidence. We're going to miss out on the power that God, listen, God's given us power of corporate prayer. And when we try to do it alone, we're missing. We're missing out on something. And so you seek ways, you, again, you build relationships, you, you come to different things, maybe even that we offer here, but you just find people in the body that you can talk to. Maybe it's just as simple as sending a message each week. Talking to people, trying to build relationships, but it's also there that we, what I would encourage is that you need to have at least one close person in your life. One close person in your life, a fellow believer, that you can pour out your life to. Everybody, you ought to at least have one person that you can be totally honest with. That you can, again, confess your sins, share your struggles. Somebody that you trust like nobody else, but we all ought to have somebody like that. And my prayer is that instead of like, oh, I don't want to do that, Pastor. That's a little too much. That's not what I signed up for when I came here. You're missing out on the power of prayer. And so my my hope and my prayer, my desire is that we would gather together for corporate prayer, but we would find ways to connect with one another to pray is anybody suffering? Let's pray. Is anybody sick? Let's pray. Is anybody cheerful? Let's praise God together. Let's, let's do all this together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word, your truth. We thank you for the truth of your word about prayer. And that we can come before your throne. And Lord, that you will hear us. You will help us. You will bring healing and deliverance. God, we know that you are all-powerful. And so I pray, God, this morning that we are encouraged and convicted that we need to be a people of prayer. And, Lord, that we need to connect deeper with one another. Lord, and maybe that's a challenge that you'll put on our hearts. That, Lord, instead of just Lord, connecting on a superficial level, that we would all desire to connect on a deeper level. Lord we all have needs you know all those needs we all have struggles some of us are dealing with sickness Lord may you move in our lives may you help us to be more like